Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the podcast where we talk about stuff that, you know what, just normally isn't talked about in seminary or kind of traditional ministry training environments. Today, we have a real treat. We have a, a, a great guest on the line. I'm super excited to have Ben Reed from Long Hollow Baptist Church, uh, just outside of Nashville in Henderson, uh, Tennessee. And so thanks so much, Ben, for being on the show. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate you having me out, man. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your ministry, about Long Hollow? Yeah, um, so I, uh, yeah, I, I oversee all of our groups at uh, five different campuses that we have at Long Hollow. I've been here a little over a year. Um, from before this, uh, we transitioned from a church plant where we've been on. Uh, I've been on staff for about five years, so I've done kind of the the church plant world where we set up um, in a. Uh, in a school every single week, and it felt very much like manual labor every single week. Um, <laughs> so we set up in actually two different. We were multi multi campus um, in two different schools. So did that for five years, and now I'm in a little more traditional church, um, doing very similar things, trying to get groups going, um, investing in group leaders, um, investing in the current health that we have, and continue to try to expand it. So been here a little over a year, and um, loving the spot where we're at. Uh, we love Middle Tennessee. We specifically love Nashville, and um, it's a great area to live, great area for us to, to raise our family. So, yeah, we love it uh, here at Long Hollow. Nice. Now, why don't you kind of give us a bit of the history of Long Hollow, give us a kind of a flavor of uh, your church. Yeah, so um, let me get my dates right. So 15 years ago, uh, the church split, and it went through a, a – uh, actually, it was, it was 17 years ago, sorry. Church split, uh, went through kind of a nasty thing for a while. Uh, numbers dropped off, obviously, drastically. Um, two years after that, uh, the, the pastor that is still a pastor at Long Hollow came in. His name is David Landreth, and they were running a couple hundred at the time. Um, and through his influence, um, and he, he, if you've never seen him communicate, he's just a very conversational kind of guy. Um We've grown from a couple hundred to um, now we're five campuses and we run about 8,000 on Sunday morning. So um, I know it's been 15 years, which kind of seems like a long time, but really that's a, that's a lot of rapid growth over Absolutely. a short amount of time. And um, that has obviously growing pains with it. And, and even though it's been rapid growth, we've been uh, pretty quick to hold on to the traditions that we started with. So we're, we're constantly trying to, to change and move and, and grow and um the, the interesting thing for my position is that 17 years ago, the split was caused by on-campus groups versus off-campus groups. Oh, um, wow. So I was brought in to help transition 15 years, 17 years later from on-campus groups to off-campus groups. So we're, we're trying to tread so lightly, and um, although we want to push the gas and really push for change, we also know that the history is this caused the church to split, and we desperately do not want that to happen. So we're working diligently to make sure that as we're working through this transition, uh, people aren't falling through the cracks, that we are um, you know, accommodating people as much as we can as far as schedule and timing and getting the right leaders in place, getting the right leaders on board, training them, deploying them to do ministry. Oh, wow, that's so. You are right at the at the hub, really, of a significant change. Uh, yeah, it really at, is. Uh, at your church, um, for sure. It's, 
it's frightening every single day, uh, but I love it. It takes, I mean, I, I feel like I have to exercise more faith um, in my job now than I ever have. So it's mm. um, it's exhilarating. Now, why don't you give us a sense, obviously, you know, a church, 8,000 people, that's a lot of people on a weekend, five different locations. You know, what does assimilation look like for you at Long Hollow? How do you move people from that large crowd uh, into uh, into smaller groups? What's that look like for you guys? Yeah, we kind of have a, a two-fold um, strategy. One is we want to launch groups around strategic times throughout the year. So we, we launch groups in, uh, actually, the, our, our time frame has gotten bumped this time. Um, to February because of some different changes, but um, nine times out of ten, we're going to launch groups in January because that's uh, when people are naturally thinking, restart, refresh, um, I want to try something new, I want to set new goals, I know God wants me to do something this year, so we're going to kind of capitalize on the natural momentum that our culture would create for change and tap into that and start new groups then. Um, the other, the biggest other time that we use to launch is in August because our culture is also thinking restart, refresh, because even when you get out of the rhythm of uh, school starting new every year, just that, it's like that's deeply embedded in your DNA that in August something's got to change, something right. new is coming, um, I've got to grow up a little bit. So um, those are two of our most strategic times. Um, we also try to do kind of smaller launches, whether those are um, alignment kind of campaign things where we're asking people to uh, invite their friends and their family and their neighbors into their home, and we're going to give them small group curriculum. Uh, so that's kind of an on-ramp for people. Um, so that would be like April and October timeframes, kind of in between our major group launches. Um, we also look at on-ramps. Um, like through our men's ministry, through our women's ministry, we do a couple of big conferences a year, and so we try to use those as on-ramps for, uh, for community as well. So just making it an explicit focus that we're not just kind of gathering just to, um, just to have good teaching, not just gathering to be encouraged, but um, we want this event to last longer than this event, so we try to partner with small groups and make sure that we have a small group presence and that there's an easy on-ramp from this big event where we're inviting people from the community into the life of our church, which is small groups. Oh, very cool. Now, I would imagine, you know, with, with people, you know, in kind of all over the place, not all just in one area, you've got on-campus, off-campus groups, um, you know, leadership development is obviously a critical uh, piece of that. You know, can you give me a sense, if I was a leader in a small group uh, at Long Hollow, what kind of leadership development are you providing for those, uh, those leaders? Yeah, uh, leadership development is, is crucial. You're right, because we're kind of all spread out. But in addition to that, um, my philosophy is that I want to be able to take risks on people um, who haven't proven themselves in leadership, who um, maybe who haven't led a small group before, or um, who church leaders wouldn't naturally say, oh, well, of course, that person needs to be a, a small group leader. You know, they're maybe they're a deacon or they're in um, significant church leadership already, so we need to pluck them out and let them be leaders. Um, if we didn't have a robust leadership development process in place, I wouldn't really feel like I could take a risk on people who haven't proven themselves. Right. Uh, and, and for me, that that desire for risk, it, it comes partly in the fact that people have taken risks on me in leadership and given me roles that I haven't earned, but they've They've helped me to take a step of faith. <clears throat> but on top of that, when I look at the scriptures, I see the people that Jesus took um, into his inner circle, and the, the disciples were people that uh, the church had turned their back on. 
But the, they weren't people that the church would have chosen to right. be the, the leaders who were going to take the church into the next generation and the next generation. Jesus entrusted these men with the gospel that the church had said, well, we're not going to let you, we're not going to position you as the leaders in the temple. Um, these guys were fishermen and they were tax collectors. They were people who would have been on the outside um, that other church leaders would have looked at and said, we don't, we don't want you in leadership. So um, true. Those are the kinds of people that I like to go after. Um, so if we, again, if we didn't have a leadership development program in place, I would feel really, really reluctant grabbing these people who haven't really been trained up right. um, to, to be leaders. So um, we have a, a multitude of processes that we work um, new group leaders through. <clears throat> the first is really systematic. Um, we call it 101 through 501. So those are five different kind of hour-long classes. Um, although we look a lot of uh, look at a lot of what we do in groups ministry as relational and not so much information transfer, we do look at our leadership development as information transfer. Uh, we want to do it in a relational environment. Uh, we want to enforce it through coaching. But at the end of the day, it's really uh, transferring information from what we've learned, um, what we've experienced and downloading that to group leaders so that they can kind of take a step forward even though they may not have led a group before. Right. Um, so we start them off, the, kind of the, the broad sweeping philosophy is we want to start them off from I've never led a group before, I have no idea what it takes to invest in people and help them grow and help them understand what faith is all about, to in 501 we want them um, to be able to actually counsel other people and help coach other group leaders. Wow. So if they make it from 101 through 501, um, we want them to be able to actually step into a coaching role and be able to help other new group leaders that are starting their group. Now, is those are those just five one-hour seminars? Or how, what does that actually look like? Or are they kind of five different sessions over multiple? What does that look like? Yeah, those are five like one-hour seminars. Uh, and those are spread out. You don't just do them all in one day. Um, right, right. The reason for that is because we want, to, we want you to go through 101 and 201 before you ever start your group. Okay. Um, and then at 201, you're linked up with Coach, um, who will walk with you through the next, um, next six months, eight months, ten months, and then a group will last for about two years. And the idea would be over the course of two years, you would do 301, 401, and 501. <clears throat> so linked up with a coach... Um, who's helping you enforce these, and you're not just learning these things in a vacuum. Right. You're learning them in the context of doing ministry, um, which, side note, that's the, I, I love the idea behind your podcast because uh, for me in seminary, so much of seminary was, was learning in a vacuum, um, mm -hmm. and it wasn't really, wasn't learning things that I was instantly applying. Right. It was learning things that I needed to tuck away in hopes that I would have you know, a seminary-style argument at some point. Right. In the um, <laughs> so, <true. laughs> so that's informed kind of the way that I do training as well. And it's I don't want to just do all the training on the front end and have people have this head knowledge in hopes that they would remember it when the time comes. Right. I want to give them enough to get their group going, so 101 and 201. And then the next ones, um, I want those to be done kind of in the vein of, gosh, I don't know how to handle this in my group. Right. Um, so it's, it would be more of a needs-based learning where they're seeing people's lives fall apart or they're seeing people who are turning to them now for spiritual help and they don't know how to help them. So that's where we come along and say, well, perfect, why don't you go through 301 and that'll help <clears throat> give you the tools you need um, to continue to lead your group well. 
Yeah, I love that. You know, adult learning, as you know, um, you know, people really only learn when they can see the direct applicable. You know, how they're going to use it. Um, and if the, if there isn't the kind of walkout knowledge, like, okay, I'm going to walk away today and do this. Um, it's very hard to get people, you know, to learn. Yeah. Um, the other thing I like about that is it also gives something tangible for the coaches to be interacting with. Um, you know, the various leaders on. I know in our church we've really struggled with the, you know, what is the coach, what's that conversation going to actually look like outside of let me, you know, kind of help you problem solve a couple individuals within your group. Um, what can you actually be talking to them about? I like that idea of here's a curriculum that we're going to be kind of, you know, you're going to bounce back into that class and talk about that. And then that'll give us months of stuff to talk about as we interact, um, you know, for sure. Yeah, and, and really with our coaching too, um, the, Okay, so I keep coming back to information transfer versus relationships. But for us, that's a big deal. Um, the classes, 101 through 501, are information transfer, right. but coaching is highly relational. Uh, right. And so I tell our coaches, your number one goal is to make sure that the group leader is growing in their faith. Because mm -hmm. if they're growing in their faith, <clears throat> their group is going to be taking steps of faith as well. Right. If they're not, then their group is not. Um, so we use you know, these conversations about, who's the difficult person in your group and what are the dynamics in your group and who's not engaged and what are you doing to serve? Those are all important questions, but those are all just a backdrop to have a conversation about how is how are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing um, in your own faith? How are you doing sharing your faith? Right. Because if they're not leading the way in their spiritual growth, their group's not going to know what to do. So right. we really push coaches to to be the shepherd leaders of group leaders. Right, very, very good. Um, now, I would imagine I'd love to hear a bit more about how you're casting vision to a, a church that's trying to move from, you know, on-campus groups or maybe classes is maybe how some churches might refer to them, uh, to off-campus groups. How are you actually casting that vision, uh, both you specifically and then, you know, the other kind of leaders in your church? Oh, that's good, yeah. Um, it, it's... For, for us, I don't know churches have done it differently when they're doing kind of a hybrid on-campus, off-campus model. <clears throat> um, the way what we've landed on is we want a unified um, statement for what what is a small group. So we don't want something for Sunday school um, or on-campus classes that's different than off-campus groups. Because at the end of the day, I don't care where a group meets. I don't care if they meet at Starbucks. I don't care if they meet in their home, on on campus. Um, what I care about is small group health. So if they're pursuing health, I'm thrilled. I don't care how long they meet, um, where they meet, as long as they're pursuing health. And so we define a small group as a group of people who are taking steps of faith together. It doesn't matter where you meet. It doesn't matter how long you meet. Um, cool. So we, we've chosen a unified vision. I know some, some churches have, have chosen kind of different paths for small groups and Sunday school classes, uh, but we've, we've landed on one unified vision, and so that allows us to have a streamlined training process, streamlined development process. We can share coaches, and we don't have to have two different coaching structures for on-campus versus off-campus. Right, very good. Um, and really, the language we've used, we've actually moved away from on-campus versus off-campus, um, and we've just tried to help groups, um, groups land on, okay, when are you going to meet? Um, right. So the groups that meet on Sunday evening, about 95% of those meet on campus because we offer on-campus childcare. Because that tends to be a stumbling block for a lot of people. Is well, I've got I've got kids and I don't want to meet in somebody else's home and have to get a babysitter for my house. And, um, 
I would rather have a safe place to take my kids where I know there's security and um, it's a place that I know and trust rather drop them off there and go up to a classroom upstairs or um, the other you know handful of groups that we have meeting on Sunday nights will drop their kids off on campus and then drive to an off-campus group and then come back and pick their kids up so we, we've not so much looked at are you an on-campus group or an off-campus group it's just when do you meet um, right. so this group meets Sunday night at six o'clock in Hendersonville hey if that time frame works for you then join that group um, so on-campus versus off-campus um, can be pretty polarizing so we've tried to get away from those terms as much as we can nice very uh, you know very good um, now is there anybody else if is there anything else you'd love to share you know for church leaders that might be listening in today that are wrestling through thinking about kind of uh, their small group strategy um, yeah I would say figure out in your context what health looks like and drive towards that. Help every single group leader know um, what what the win is and what they're aiming for because there are a lot of things that we can kind of in our head start saying well this is this is so important that I need to go after this and so I think um, it's so maybe it's you think it's so important to get through the curriculum or maybe you think it's so important to, to make sure that everybody um, is there and you're increasing in numbers every week. Um, if you're a, a pastor, if you're the small group point person in your church, just make sure that you have, have landed on what it looks like for a small group to win and then help every single group know that, help every single coach know that, and drive that home in all the conversations that you have. Cool. Um, one more thing that I would say is if you're kind of wrestling through how do we get groups going, what does it take to get groups off the ground, we don't even, you know, we're exploring small groups. Um, we may do those. We may not. I would say this, um, grab two, three, four, um, maybe even eight people that you know that you say these are leaders, um, whether they're spiritual leaders or just natural leaders, grab those people and go th spend eight weeks with them every week, invite them into your home, just do life with them for, next, for the next eight weeks, um, see if you like that, see if they enjoy that. I, I can almost guarantee you that they will and that they'll grow spiritually um, and then you, know, you can kind of choose from there to, to launch out six or eight new groups out of that. But to start small groups, the easiest way to do that is for you to start a, your own small group. Gather the people that you know are natural leaders and start investing in them. This is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. All right. Well, we've entered the lightning round. We're going to jump through a series of questions that we ask every church leader that's on uh, the Unseminary Podcast. And uh, just to remind you, today we've got Ben Reed on the phone from Long Hollow Baptist. So happy to have him with us. So, Ben, what's an online resource that you're using these days that's really helping you in your ministry? Uh, yeah, so uh, with our team, we use uh, two big resources that have helped us tremendously. Evernote, and I probably use that um, personally as much as anybody on our team does. Um, I use it is my uh, my dump for ideas and notes and anything and everything goes into Evernote. I, I, I do some handwritten stuff, so some meetings that I go to, it's easier to, to take a pen and, and paper, so I use a Moleskine for that. Um, but then I'll snap a picture of it and throw it into Evernote because um, I know I'm kind of getting in the weeds here, but um, I use the pro version of Evernote, and the reason uh -huh. that matters for me is because um, I can search all of my handwritten notes. Right. So I love being able to um, 
to access all of my notes, all of my thoughts, all of my ideas at any point. So I am categorized by church stuff and small group stuff and um, personal stuff, and then kind of my writing projects that I'm that I'm working on. So Evernote is a huge, huge deal for me. I use it all the time. The other thing that that we've uh, our whole team has started using that that we really like is Wonderlist. It's just a, a to-do list kind of task management thing. Uh, what I like about it um, is, well, one, it's free, um, <laughs> and then <laughs> our team really likes that. Then yep. the second thing is that we can uh, we can share tasks, share a task list, and if I do something off of that task list, it deletes it from everybody else's. So we can kind of collaborate in real time on a task list, whether it's adding things to it or taking things away from it. So um, that's been a big, uh, a big win for our team too. Is not just kind of coming up with a list and emailing back and forth to say, "Hey, I did this, or I didn't do this yet, or we need to add this to it." Uh, it's been really helpful to to use Wonderlist to, in real time. You just pull up the app, whether it's on our computer or tablet or phone, pull up the, the list and check something off and it instantly is checked off on, on everybody's list. So those are our two uh, softwares that we use. We, we use um, uh, Google Drive a lot too for uh, kind of sharing spreadsheets, but uh, Evernote and Wonderlist are, are huge for us. Cool. What's a book you've read in the last six months that's having an impact on uh, your ministry? All right, so I'll throw one at you that um, I think most pastors probably haven't or won't read, um, <laughs> and it's it's called Brand Against the Machine. Um, it's by a, a buddy of mine named John Morgan. Uh, it is it's it's a sales book. It's a marketing book. It's a branding book. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, we pastors, if you boil down what we do, we're salesmen. Absolutely, we're marketers, and yep. everything that we do, we're trying to sell. Um, the good news for us is that we're selling the best product in the history of the world, and that's the gospel. Absolutely. So we, of all people, should be thinking critically about how are we communicating our message? How can we communicate it more winsomely, more effectively, so that more people hear it and aren't turned off by um, our marketing strategy? They're not turned off by the way that we communicate it. Uh, the gospel itself is offensive enough. We're telling people that they're sinners, um, and that uh, they need a relationship with God through Christ. Basically, we're telling them that the way that they're living their life now is wrong, and right. that is incredibly offensive. So let's mm -hmm. let the gospel be offensive and not the way that we communicate it. So uh, coming back to the book, John lays out the simple strategies for anybody who's in sales, anybody who's trying to develop a brand, trying to market a product, um, and it's so easy. And I, I took notes across that book like crazy. Just go, okay, here's how we can communicate small groups the next time. Here's right. how we can make announcements about it the next time. Here's here's how we can incorporate um, colors and social media strategies. And it was just, it's, it's a brilliantly written book that I think a lot of pastors wouldn't read. Um, mm -hmm. So it's worth picking up and, and, and going through. Very cool. Brand Against the Machine. Very cool. Um, what's another ministry that's inspiring you these days? Um, I look to North Point Community Church a lot. I love how they do things with excellence, and it caught, it just pushes me every time I, I read what they're doing and I, I track along with their group's ministry. Um, I'm encouraged to do what we do better um, because I think that they strive for excellence in everything that they do. So I track along with North Point a lot. Absolutely. Um, you know, related to that, is there a, a leader out there that's alive today that if you could get 15 minutes with them, uh, you'd love to, uh, and why? Why would you pick that person? 
Yeah, um, the person that I would pick is would be like I just mentioned North Point, uh, and Bill Willits is their their groups guy, and he's been there from the beginning, and he kind of crafted it from the ground up, um, and so he'd be a guy that that I would say, man, if I could get 15 minutes with him to see what you know, if you're in my situation, what would you do? Um, if you're in my stage in life, what would you do? Um, how would you structure things if, if you could do it all again? And I actually had the chance to, to sit down with Bill, and I've had a chance over the last couple of years to do that a handful of times, and Bill's become a good friend. And so he's one of those guys that I would say, if I could have 15 minutes with him, I'd be thrilled, and now we've become uh, good friends. So um, if you're ever in the Atlanta area, hit up Bill Willits, um, and uh, he'll, he'll incredibly bless you by the way that he thinks critically about spiritual growth and discipleship, um, by the way that he thinks systematically about groups, and the way that he thinks about um, how to create environments where people can grow most effectively. Absolutely. All right, so what do you do for fun when you're just kicking back and you're not building groups, casting vision, you know, trying to sort through and to not cause another split at Long Hollow? What do you do for, uh, for fun? <laughs> It's hard um, because I think wherever I go, um, I'm having conversations about groups. I'm having conversations about ministry. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing or where I'm at. My mind is thinking about that, and I'm having conversations about that. But mm -hmm. when I'm able to turn it off a little bit, um, I, my wife and I have gotten into CrossFit um, over ah. the last couple of years. Wow. And don't judge me. Rick. <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm not judging. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we love it, and it, um, I I, uh, I played high school and college sports, and so there's this competitive streak that runs in me uh, that gets fed every time I go to CrossFit, and nice. you know we're working out with the you know 10, 15 other folks, and um, every single time I want to win, um, right. and so every time it's it's a bit of a competition that fuels me. But then um, what I love about CrossFit too is there's this big community aspect. To it, and so I get to interact with and build community with people that I wouldn't naturally um, be able to, to associate with. So um, I love the community side of CrossFit. So very cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. If people want to get in touch with you or your church, how's the best? You know, what are some ways that they could do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would love to connect with you um, on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Ben Reed. On Facebook, I am backslash Ben L. Reed. Um, my website is benreed.net. Um, I wrote a book on um, launching and sustaining small group health. <clears throat> uh, it's called Starting Small. You can find it on Amazon in print and ebook. Um, so there's a handful of ways that you can get in touch with me. Pop me a message on any one of those, and I try to be uh, really responsive on social media. Ah, oh, that's great. Thanks so much, Ben. We'll link to those in the show notes uh, as well for people so they can get in touch. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate what you do, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>